0: Welcome to Grow Up, where we are healing the child within us while lovingly and respectfully raising the child that's in front of us. Are you ready? It's time to grow up. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Amy, and I'm the host of Grow Up, and I'm so happy to have you here. I am very, very excited about this episode, everyone. I have had an interview saved for a few months, actually, um, with Dana from The Conscious Healing Mama. And it's an awesome conversation that nearly every week since we've recorded it, I couldn't wait to put out. I was like, oh, it's going to, you know, I'll do it for the next episode. Oh, no, maybe this episode and, you know, after this one, or I just kept like putting it off and putting it off because it just felt good and special. And I was, you know, kind of life just kept happening. And then there were other things coming up in the middle and I kept kind of, you know, thinking it would be the next step, next one, and the next one, and the next one. And here we are months later, and I still have this episode to share with you. So today's the day, and I'm super excited about it. It's a great conversation with Dana, my new friend. It felt like we instantly kind of could relate to each other and hit it off. And she's just got this really warm presence about her. And I think that you all will be able to find, you know, Really relatable content. She has been through a lot. And as the story kind of unfolds, as we get talking in the interview, I just realize, you know, the array of stuff that she's experienced. And I think that no matter where you are in your healing journey or parenting journey, maybe, you know, whether you are a parent or you're not, or you want to be one one day. It's just something that I think anybody could, could latch on to any piece of the story and find something that resonates with you. So I'm really hoping that that's the case and that everyone who's listening right now will, you know, be better after this interview. Um, I just love her perspective. And I found after speaking with her and re- listening back to it, I found so many little gems, you know, things that she said that I just was like, wow, what a great quote, um, And then kind of had on the back burner for a few months and now in listening to it again to put this episode out, I just was reminded about all those little nuggets of wisdom that she shares. So. Without further ado, I think I'm just going to play this for you and not bore you too much with intro because there's just so much content in there and I really want to get it going. Plus, of course, per usual, it's not short. So I will roll that for you and catch you on the other side. Enjoy. Hi, Dana. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. I was just wondering if you could start off by giving us a little background about you
1: and who you are. Sure. So I'm Dana Charfolia. I grew up in a tiny little town in northern Minnesota. There was literally nothing to do, like, no joke, a population 315. My entire high school was 250 people. Um, I went to college in Duluth, Minnesota, and I just knew like northern Minnesota is just not for me. I knew from a really early age I wanted to get out of there. So moved to Arizona after college actually got married and divorced, married at 22, divorced by 23, started a new life in Phoenix, Arizona, met my husband a couple years later, Um, had my kids starting in 2018. And then again, in 2019, found my way, found my way through life somehow. And I look back, I'm like, I've come a long way. (laughs) Yeah, that's a
0: lot. I mean, really, I talk about a huge change going from a small town to like a major city. I didn't even realize that you had uh, a prior marriage and divorce in there too. And and just following you on Instagram, I had no idea. I haven't seen any content about that. And that's what an interesting thing to add to the story at such a young age. I'm sure that shaped a lot too. And then having children back to back. And like, I heard you say 2019, which I'm like, oh my God, you had a baby during the pandemic, like, which is just a whole nother.
1: Three months prior to the pandemic, my my daughter was three months old when the pandemic. Oh so. God! Yeah.
0: And it's yeah. so wild because, like, I mean, now that's just become everyone's story. It's a part of all of our stories. But, um, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, my son was two and is now four. Um, but yeah, just to think about how much that shaped everything, on top of what we're gonna talk about today, with all the other, you know, ins and outs of your story and your path and all the healing you've done. And then like, you know, I think the common denominator for everybody too is just this collective trauma that we've all gone gone through with the pandemic, like as if we weren't having enough on our plates. Right. I mean, it totally, for me, I know exacerbated everything that I thought I had healed. (laughs) And then you're home with a, with a child and you're in a pressure cooker. And next thing you know, you're like, Oh, those things, remember those things from way back when, um, But yeah, I think for my listeners out there, Dana, which I'm so happy you said your last name because I was looking at your last name before we started. What even is that? And I was like, oh God, I don't know how I'm going to, I'm going to butcher that. So I'm so glad you said your last name. Um, But yeah, um, Dana, her account is The Conscious Healing Mama. And I have been following for quite a while now. And just there's something so refreshing about your content. Not only is it you know, down to earth. I love that, you know, you could just be any, any mom. You're just, they're so relatable and there's humor sprinkled in there with your reels. And there's also like some serious content too, with, you know, talking about conscious parenting, talking about your own healing journey, talking about all that good stuff. And it's just such like a refreshing account to follow. Cause you get a little bit of everything. Um, but one thing that really drew me in and why I actually reached out for this interview was a few months back, there was um, a reel that it was just kind of a song playing as you just kind of had bullet points about your own story. And I'll share it too along when this episode comes out, make sure that you know I share it so everybody can see it. But it is, as I was looking at all the bullet points, I'm like, oh, wait, that's me. And I relate to that. And I relate to that. And I just thought, okay, I have to get her on here to just hear about everything that has transpired to lead you to where you are because I find you incredibly inspiring. And just to see just everything that you've been through, I was just so curious and I had to know more. So I know I sent you the the reel specifically that really piqued my curiosity. Um, a lot of it talked about like starting off with your own childhood and different, you know, talk about feelings and how you were taught to handle feelings or not handle feelings and like I would just love to know maybe a little bit more about everything that's like shaped you up until this point and led you on this journey yeah,
1: yeah so I won't we could be here all day talking about the <laughs> things but I will I will just start with by saying I grew up in a very um I would say traditionally parented home um where it was do as I say not as I do um if you're not happy or grateful, I don't want to hear about it. Um, you're, I don't want you near me. If you are cranky, if you're crying, if you're crying, suck it up. If you're mad at me, well, it's your fault. Um, it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of yelling, a lot of control. Um, I, so I was a single and only child up until I was about, well, no, no. Okay. So I I have a really interesting family story. So my, my, my mom and dad got divorced when I was like 18 months old. My dad got remarried when I was three. I had another brother. I have an older brother from my mom who had married a different guy before my dad. And then my dad got remarried when I was three, started having kids when I was like nine. And so then I became the like third parent to three more half siblings, right? Mm-hmm. So it was very much so just that was my job. Like starting at nine years, I started babysitting my infant siblings at nine years old, when my parents oh, wow. would go to the casino and I mean, they would leave me with the kids, multiple kids starting very early on. And it was, it didn't matter if I wanted to or not. It was just, that's what you had to do. Um, and I just, I remember a lot as a kid feeling very misunderstood, feeling like no matter what I did, my, my dad in particular, he would yell and he was committed to misunderstanding me. Right. And anytime I would try to, he would say, well, you did that. And was yelling at me, even if it was something I didn't do, I could not speak up for myself because anytime I tried to respond to anything I was accused of, he would accuse me of yell at me for talking back. And I would get so frustrated because I was just like, how I didn't do anything. And he'd be like, Yes, you did, blah, 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 just like yelling in my face. And I remember once being a, a young teenager. I didn't even know what I was crying about. It was one of those, those moments where you're crying and you're just like, <gasps> you like can't breathe. And um, he was in my face, like just yelling, like stop crying, like stop crying because like, he couldn't handle it. You know, And I didn't know that at the time, but because of multiple of those types of experiences as a kid, I just stopped having emotion at all, like at all, it was, it was gone, right? Like my body knew it was not safe to have that, or it was pointless, right? When you're a kid and you have repeated experiences like that, your body, your brain just learns. It's safer to not say anything at all. Just stay quiet, stay happy, and you'll be safe. You'll be loved and appreciated. So that's what I did. That is exactly what I did. And I lived my childhood that way. I lived my high school experiences that way my friends never knew any of what I was going through. They're like, you're always so happy and positive and you never get mad. And, um, but then I would have, you know, random experiences where my friends would be super excited about a trip or a birthday party or something. And I would just, I was happy, but my friends would be like, why aren't you more excited? Like, how are you not more excited right now? And I was just like, I don't know. Like I, I just could never do anything right. I always felt really misunderstood. And, um, I knew from a really early age that, the way my dad talked to me, the way I was parented, I just knew it wasn't right. Like instinctively, I was like, this is not, this is not it. (laughs) Like I feel lonely. I feel misunderstood. And my younger siblings, I mean, so much yelling, so much chaos. It was hand slapping, lots of spanking. I mean, I was spanked too. I remember being slapped in the face multiple times for saying the wrong thing. Um, And my siblings were much the same. And then What's sad is I remember being a teenager and I didn't know any different. And I would have to watch my three siblings who were all like two years apart from each other. Um, and they were overwhelming. They were extremely dysregulated all the time because now I know what I know. Um, lots of crying, lots of yelling, lots of fighting. And I remember my dad would do this thing where he would grab the back of their hair and pull up on it. Um, and so I started to do that to them as a teenager, um, I would even spank them as a teenager when they wouldn't listen and all kinds of after <laughs> anyways. Wow. So, that is, oh, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, then my dad got divorced again when I was 17 and I became the mother to those kids and they were three, five and seven. Um, and I was still in high school and my dad worked 12 hour days and it was, he was just like, you got to do what you got to do you need to, you need to be here. You need to get them ready for school and get them drive, drop them off at school. You need to be here after school because I have to work. So I had to drop out of like my school activities and I was just, I was it right. <clears throat> um, their mother left and she was an addict. She was a gambling addict all throughout my childhood as well. So, uh, my dad's a workaholic and very angry. Um, So then at 18, I was just like, as fast as I'm done with high school, I'm getting out of here. And I went to college about two hours away and I moved home and I never went back. Um, I never relied on my parents for any kind of help. And I paid for my own college, everything on my own because my parents were both low income. Neither went to college. I figured it out on my own because I didn't have a choice. Um, wow. (laughs) like, so there's that,
0: um, (laughs) I I just can't. There is so much um, in terms of like relatability. I mean, you you I feel like have your hand in like every like bucket. Like you like you've had like I mean, not that that's like a prize to win, but I'm saying for listeners out there, like maybe you can't relate to everything that you just said, but there is one part I would I would you know, venture to say that almost everybody listening can relate to to at least one part of that. I mean, especially as a child growing up, I'm assuming in the 90s, like 80s, 90s kids, um, that was kind of the going parenting route, right? The spanking. Um, And it's weird because like, you know, we look at generational trauma and you think like, what must have happened to your dad that made him so angry and so hurt that like he thought that was like the only way to gain connection and control over his children um, or just the fact that he thought you know that your job as the oldest of the family was to just sacrifice everything that you needed to take care of these little kids like of course you love them but like that gets so muddy like well you love them so like don't you want to take care of them and then you end up just doing the same thing spanking and grabbing the back of the hair like because you think like that's what you're supposed to do They probably were doing things that, like, are just normal kids stuff, right? That, like like you said, they were dysregulated because they were living in that. And there's, like, no winners there. That's just so sad. I'm so sorry. And, like, I don't blame you at all. And um, I know, you know, people close to me that have had a very similar experience where they couldn't wait to get out. It's like, I'm a senior. I'm going to college. I am out of here. And did that make you feel guilty in a weird way? Like because of the parentification, did you feel like you had a responsibility to like check in on your siblings or like take care of your father's messes? Like, was that a thing for you?
1: It, So it was, but thankfully I had a really strong group of of girlfriends and all of them, all of them were going to college and all of them were like, you have to do this for yourself. And there were times, yeah, where I was like, maybe maybe I'll just stay home and go to community college. Like I can't leave. And my friends were like, Dana, you've done enough for this family. You, you are going to college with us. And, And that's really, truly what I wanted. And my dad also wanted, like he did want me to get an education. So he didn't try to stop me. You know, he was like, I I would love for you to be here. You could save money going to community college. And I was just like, dad, I can't do that. I'm going with my friends. I need to do this for me. Um, and he let me do that. And I mean, I was paying for it myself. So it was not like, I'm like, I'm 18 now I'm going to do what I want. Um, but yeah, I, I still hold on to some guilt of leaving them behind because, because when I left, and their mother was an addict it was just them and my dad and they grew up in that same environment except for they didn't have a single safe person to go to and so you know two out of the th- out of the three of my siblings struggle really 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 harshly with mental you know mental health stuff anxiety depression social anxiety you name it and i don't i don't want to say it's all because of that you know there's you know Multifaceted reasons why that might be, um, including having screens in their hands from about eight years old, um, all day every day. That's another story. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I hold on to some guilt for that because I never got to have that sibling relationship with them. It was a motherly relationship with them. And now, you know, my sister's eighteen, my my brother's twenty one, my other brother's twenty three, and I have a relationship with my younger sister. But I don't have a relationship with my oldest younger sibling. Um it's just yeah, I think a lot about what could have been for them if I had stayed. Would they would their life have turned out differently had I stayed? But I can't I can't go there because that's not the choice I made mm-hmm. and I needed to do what was best for me and and I did and I have no I have no regrets about that.
0: Yeah, and I think that really talks a lot to like codependency and like enmeshment in families and I don't think until you have space, whether that's physical space, which sometimes is easier because you physically cannot be there to take on that burden, or you put up really good boundaries, which is very, very challenging, especially when you've grown up having your boundaries repeatedly trampled. Um, But like to see that like, you know, you've kind of broken that cycle. It sounds like maybe your youngest sibling has tried to break the cycle or is breaking the cycle. And then maybe to see... Some of your other siblings that maybe got caught up in that like kind of lifestyle because of what they were marinating in. And I think that just shows, if nothing else, it shows the importance of kind of what the climate that we raise our families in and 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 as parents, what we those bumpers that we put into place to separate from those toxic cycles for our well-being, but also to carry on in our family and give to our children, right? I mean, because, As sad as it is, like you want to save everybody. And obviously your heart is huge and you want to do that because that's just what you felt like you, that was your role, but it wasn't your responsibility. Those weren't your kids, you know, and it's sad. It's really sad because you, there's all those what ifs, but yeah, at the end of the day, like your well-being and your children, it's like, you're breaking that cycle of enmeshment that everyone else's feelings are your responsibility and they're not. And that's really hard when you love somebody, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you don't, the thing about, you know, growing up with enmeshed families and, you know, just unhealthy family systems um, is you don't realize it in, when you're in it, you just think that's how families are like, Oh, they're family. It's blood. Like, no, that's bullshit. But Mm -hmm. when you're in it, you don't know any different. And then when you get married and you have your own family, you unconsciously start repeating those same behavioral patterns. Right. And so when I started, when I got married and particularly once I had my kids, I unconsciously started to repeat that cycle of, um, over, over caring for people. Um, like I just overcompensated for everybody else. And it was, you just go into that natural unconscious, like, That is the role I know, the role of caregiver, the role of just take care of stuff, get it done, push through whatever's happening to just do the things. And and I was doing that and I've done that my entire life. That's my go-to like unconsciously, but there's only so much of that you can do in motherhood without getting angry and resentful Mm -hmm. and being like, what? (laughs) you know
0: like and and by all means use F word. any of my listeners know that like all of my podcasts are explicit (laughs) um but yeah that's oh god I if I could like nod hard enough that my head would snap off at this point like I'm just over here like yeah that's my story too I feel like um once I became a parent my My capacity for helping everybody but myself and my child who actually needed me, like physically crying needs to be fed, um, you know, animalistic (laughs) needs you. Um, I realized that, like, I don't have it anymore for everybody else. And it was really hard because, honestly, before becoming a mom, I wasn't even aware of that patterning of myself, Like, I didn't even know that I gave and gave and gave. I mean, I knew in theory, because I'm a caretaker and all that kind of stuff. But like, I don't think I saw my role in my family or my role in my, my life so clearly as I did once I became a mom. And it was like, oh, wow, okay, there is literally not enough energy to give to all these people that are used to taking from me. So... I know that, like, my marriage is important and my husband's important. I know that I'm obviously important and this baby takes the cake. I mean, that's it. And everyone else is going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And it was, like, such a hard thing because now you're catapulted into parenthood, which is insanely hard. And I think I had kind of, like, these rose-colored glasses on going into it. Um oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Who doesn't like who I, that's part of the reason with this podcast. I'm like, I want to talk about the nitty gritty. Like, let's talk about it. Like shit is hard. And then you're also trying to figure out like, Oh my God, all of a sudden now I'm realizing like my own wounds clear as day. And I haven't done shit to heal those ones. So now I'm like double in it. I'm just like, Whoa, this is major. Um, and I'm sure it sounds like that was kind of your journey too. like, you have kids and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's not cool. I can't be like that. Or like, how did that kind of come up for you?
1: Um, so I started like learning about gentle parenting first. That was like my first foray into parenting differently. I found it while I was pregnant with my, my first son. And I was like, Oh yes, yes, this is how I want to do things. Mm -hmm. I started like diving into parenting stuff years before I ever had kids because I just knew I wanted to do things different, but I wasn't sure how. Um, So I found general parenting and then I found conscious parenting and I was into all of that. Um, but there's a difference between reading things on Instagram and finding things and saying, "Oh yes, this is how I want to do things." That's what I want to say in this situation. Blah. There's a difference between reading it and absorbing the information and then actually putting it into practice, and creating these new habits around how you show up and how you behave and how you speak and all of those things. And I found that I was—it it came pretty like naturally to me, even though it shouldn't have. Somehow it kind of came naturally to me with my first son, because my first son was always kind of more even keeled, right? A little more even keeled, not easy. Just, I was like, oh, let's have another one. But my daughter, my second one, she came and was a world, world's different. <laughs> so she wow. was like that wrecking ball child that came in and never stopped screaming, wouldn't let me put her down, never slept well. I bed shared and breastfed her all throughout the night till she was 18 months old constantly needed me constantly crying, like throwing herself on the, she's just one of those kids that I just was like, Oh shit, if I had had her first, I don't know if I would have had another one, but, but it was her who started to show me all of the things that I needed that were showing up. Like I was, I remember getting to a point where I was, I held onto so much anger and resentment toward my husband and I really, truly, at that point in time, thought it was him. I was projecting onto him. It was his fault, like, because he's not doing this, and he's not doing that, and if he would do this, and then I would do this, and and then somewhere along the way, I started learning more about the, the enmeshed family systems and learning more about childhood trauma, and I started reading. I started with the holistic psychologist. I remember seeing a post of hers um, all about what, um oh, you know, these five things could be childhood trauma. And it talked about being a parentified child and being yelled at and having, you know, moved a lot as a kid. And I was just like, holy shit. And I started to read more and more and I was like, oh my God, what? And it just was this cascade effect of the more I learned, the more I had epiphanies about my childhood and how that was manifesting into my life. And I I got to this point, I remember sitting on the floor and and having this feeling of anger. And then I read a post, it was all about resentment and it was like something to the effect of, um, resentment is really just anger at how, how you have abandoned yourself in the times you needed (laughs) you. And I was like, yeah. Oh my God. So I wh- I got to this point with my husband where I unconsciously was expecting him to just recognize what I needed mm-hmm. and offer me like time away or recognize like, oh, you need, give me the baby. You need to go have time instead of asking and advocating for myself. I was waiting for him to give me everything I needed because unconsciously, um, what I figured out is Kids who go through those kind of of traumatic childhoods often want somebody to save them. And they, they truly believe that someone else is going to be their savior and give them everything they need when we hold that power all along. And it wasn't until I really grasped that that I was like, this is me. This is mine. I have to own this. And then I finally went to therapy. After 32 years, no, 31 and a half years, I avoided therapy because I was all about doing it myself and personal development. I read umpteen million books, but all of that didn't mean shit. Once I had kids and started unraveling all this inner sh- stuff that had never come out before, I was like, I think I need some additional
0: help. <laughs> so it's funny because I just put a post up, it was like a day or two ago about the word catalyst. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about your daughter, it's like not that your son was not a catalyst, because obviously that was your intro to motherhood, and motherhood is a catalyst in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But my son is very similar, it sounds like, to your daughter. It's like that Mm -hmm. thing that you thought you could avoid, like, yeah, good luck, because they are going to take you to your absolute limit. And he is also the reason that we are one and done (laughs) because I thought I wanted three or four kids. And then I had him and I go, okay, wow, that takes 100% of both my husband and I to even get through a day. And as much as, I mean, I work through in therapy all the time about like breaking the fantasy that I thought that I had. And um, you like to think you have more control than you do. And then you have this kid and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, so I get it. We're on your terms. And that's great. And as much as I it drains the ever loving you know everything out of me I wouldn't change him for two seconds because it has made me get really honest and confront these patterns and these it's made me question everything it's made me go back to the drawing board every single day about the way we do things and why we do things and does it have to be now does it have to be like that and they are a gift. They really are as hard as those children are. And whether it's a child that's a catalyst for you or a, or a divorce or a relationship or anything, you know, a death, a trauma, anything. But um, those catalyst moments are really amazing. And so when you're talking about your daughter, I was like, oh yeah, I know the type well. Um, and I think what's really cool about you as I listen to your story is the fact that even in those moments of resentment, And I love that quote about, you know, you're right. It's really just anger at yourself, you know, like with you're like, I'm, I feel resentful, but that person didn't know it's because I didn't communicate it. But when you've been stripped from your own power at an early age, when someone was telling you what you had to do and didn't listen to you and misunderstood you constantly, you forget that you have a say-so because you never did. You were raised in those formative years of your life, not having a choice. And mine's different in a way in that um, I didn't, my parents were definitely more conservative and traditional the way you describe. um, But my situation was more with my older brother was sick and died. And so for me, it was like catapulted into this. I didn't choose this but now I'm just in this situation and no one did. No one did and I have a ton of compassion for my parents and the way that that all went down. But the point is when you've been stripped from your power and you're kind of just trying to fumble your way through. And for me, I was 15. So exactly the same thing. I was a teenager. And I think my family role at that point had already been established kind of as like the, the strong one or the one that can handle a lot, the independent one. Um, but no one asked me, no one asked me if I wanted to do that. No one asked me if I could handle that. And I couldn't. And I thought that I could because I did it well, but then I got older and realized, Oh, okay. Doing it well meant not doing it. The, you know, I stored it somewhere else It never came out. And I'm with you with the feelings thing. And, um, but I love, what I love so much about you is that you take all these, these hits, if you will, as like an invitation to look inward, And I think that's so inspiring that like, you're able to, for whatever reason, like you said, I don't even know why I dove into this kind of parenting and I, and I knew that I wanted to do differently, but I just knew. Mm -hmm. And that's incredible because you were kind of born a cycle breaker. The fact that you, instead of looking at yourself as a victim, which is so easy to do, and we all fall into it at times, but you kind of were like how am I going to do this differently? Or what am I responsible for in this situation? Like with your husband, you know? And I remember feeling that way. I had a newborn baby. I remember rocking my son because he was like your daughter never could put him down, just inconsolable and rocking and rocking and rocking in that glider, you know, at 2 a.m. And being so, um, feeling so underappreciated by my husband, which is not true. It is not true. And I remember thinking to myself, the, like, the logical part of me was like, Amy, that's not true. Yeah. He, he, he is so grateful for everything you do. And, and I was like, but I didn't feel it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it made me realize, like I even looked into love languages and I was like, okay, I need to hear the words. Yep. I want him to say, you are doing a great job. You are doing everything you can. You're a wonderful mother. But you're right. I was like expecting him to just know to do that without me having to explain it. And it's like you said, that feeling of waiting to be rescued. Why doesn't he just know what to magically do? But again, it's like when you've been stripped of your power and you've lived your whole life feeling like it was for everybody else, you don't even know how to express your own needs.
1: No, your nervous system learned it's not its not safe or it's not going to be listened to or acted upon. So you it's like a learned helplessness in a way. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's just ironic because we've both were put into these positions of being these like parentified children who had so much like together that like I would have never described myself as helpless because I'm like oh no I always handle it I always handle my shit but then you realize that like deep down it's coming because you do feel so helpless like you're wanting that control because everything feels out of control right it's like a weird like I don't even know it like almost doesn't seem to make sense but it's like this counterbalancing like thing, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know about for you, but what the, I feel like the biggest breakthrough I had, um, in my healing journey, especially when I first started diving in and, um, and going to therapy was I realized just how much of my personality was not actually who I was, but rather who I became to survive and thrive in the environment in which I grew up in. So that, You know, I've always been just, and I call, I've called myself an eternal optimist for so long. Mm. Someone who always sees the bright side, always sees the positive side, but that was literally the only way I could have survived as a kid. That was my coping mechanism. I see the silver lining. Mm -hmm. But what that did for me was I emotionally bypassed everything in my life, by going straight to the good reasons why, the good things that are coming out of what happened. And so then I could escape feeling sad or mad or whatever. And I could jump straight to grateful for why that was happening. Mm-hmm. So all these repeated experiences of emotionally bypassing the hard stuff, just built up, built up, built up, built up. And then all of a sudden you don't even realize you're walking around is like your shoulders are up here. Like my shoulders are freaking rocks. because oh, same. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your attention, and you just don't you don't even understand until I I remember I did an e, one EMDR session, mm. and in one EMDR session, it's kind of crazy how, how 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 it all works and how our brains release things, but how much lighter I felt after I was able to process and release some of this repressed sadness and anger that I was holding on to from when I was a teenager we carry that stuff for that long and it just sits in there, oils nice. at some point it has to come out and whether it comes out as chronic illness, chronic pain, mental illness, what, what have you comes out some way. Um, but you don't realize how much you're carrying until it's no longer there. You're like, Oh, this is what it feels like to actually yes. live in, the, in the moment. Yeah. Um, instead of constantly thinking about what's next or being prepared for the next bad thing that's going to happen and you don't even realize you're living that way you're living on autopilot
0: yes. it's like that hyper vigilance that you you have just because you're right you're you're like the person that's waiting for you know just something bad to go wrong because you're the one that always handles it or something yeah. right I mean it's like that I can relate to so much of what you just said I had a um an old mentor in my life that used to say disease if you break it down was dis-ease mm-hmm. and I think about that so often that like If it doesn't come out somehow, that dis-ease inside of your body could turn into disease because you're having that, you know, that chronic just turmoil constantly. And like you said, like the tightness of your body. And I mean, I know for me, my anxiety triggers blood pressure issues. It triggers all kinds of things that are like real, 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 real symptoms. Migraines. um, I mean, just things that like totally impede on the quality of your life. Yeah. and you don't even know, you know, you have no idea. Like, you're just like, oh, this is just me. Like, or you or you treat it with medicine or you treat it with whatever. And it's like, you're not getting to the root of the problem. You're just putting another Band-Aid again over these things. Can you talk a little bit about um, the EMDR and like what that is and what that was like, like what that experience was?
1: Yeah, so EMDR is, um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to It's like, Eye movement, desensitization, something.
0: Right, because all the lights with the therapy. I've never done it before, but I've heard really, um, really great things about it, actually. And that's why, especially especially for trauma or like, um, what do they call it? Like CT, PTSD, like compound um, trauma too. Um, and I've heard that it works really, really well for that. But I'm just curious like what that was like. And how did you know to look for the EMDR type of therapy? Was that something...
1: So when I was looking for my therapist, I knew that, so I, I, for anyone listening, who's like, I think I want a therapist, go to psychologytoday.com. They have an amazing search function, anything you could want to search for in your city, whatever. So I searched for someone who had EMDR. Um, I wanted to work with a marriage and family therapist because of how deeply they're ingrained in family systems. And I just wanted that and attachment and trauma. So I knew that I had attachment wounds. I knew that I had trauma. And I knew that, you know, my family played an immense part in who it was. So the EMDR, I have known about EMDR therapy for a long time because my mom, um, my mother, (laughs) whole other story, but my mom struggled with mental illness and addiction. And, um, you know, she tried to commit suicide seven times throughout my childhood. Wow. Wow. And she finally, finally, at about 47 years old, got help and, and did EMDR therapy. So that's how I knew what it was. Um, and I went to therapy and the, my therapist actually asked, like, are you interested in EMDR? And I'm like, yeah, do you think that that makes sense for me? And she's like, I do. I think it makes sense. So traditionally EMDR happens over a series of, um, of sessions. Usually it's like seven, eight sessions that build upon one another, but basically there's two ways you can do it, or maybe even three ways. But there's like either this flashing light that you follow with your eyes while the therapist like asks a question. And then while your eyes are going back and forth, you take some time to process it and then see just organically what comes to mind and you talk through it. Um, and then, but so either you can do the eye light flashing thing, or they have little buzzies that you put in your hands and they, they vibrate. That's what I used. Ah, <clears throat> what that, it does something to the brain that makes your brain focus on the sensations or the movement and the eye movement partnered with the areas of the brain that are firing, help release repressed memories and repressed feelings that you otherwise would have really a really hard time releasing. So what the progression of the EMDR therapy is to take out these repressed emotions, oppressed memories and then put them back in, in a place that is safe and you can more easily process it Mm. to the goal basically is like, if you have a really hard experience and you just don't go there because it's hard to talk about and you feel re-traumatized, the goal is for over that cycle of EMDR to bring that to the surface. And then by the end, be able to talk about it and not feel activated. Wow. So I didn't go through that whole cycle. I did one session And after the one session, um, I was, I ended up talking about a really the day my dad told me that his wife was leaving him. Um I had just dropped off my best friend at the airport. She moved away to Colorado. I was driving on the freeway. My dad called me. This was my 17th birthday. My dad called me and he said, he was crying, and he said, Your mom is leaving me. And I remember hyperventilating on the highway and like pulling over and just like not being able to breathe, like crying, um, and then going home and he was crying and the kids were crying and he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember being like the strong one. And I was like, I'm, we're going to get through this together. Like, it's going to be okay, dad. And, um, you know, and that, at that point he asked me, you know, he needed me to, to be that like big support for him. And I was, you know, I stepped up in ways that I had to, I didn't have a choice, but I didn't realize how much um, grief and sadness I was holding on to from that particular experience. Because in those moments, you just do what you got to do. And that's what I was taught from really early age. Just brush it off, do what you got to do, keep moving. So that's what I did, but I never had a chance to actually like process that, that hard experience. So that one session, I released that And what I found happened after that session was in the car, I would be driving and then a song would come on like an old song and I would just start bawling my eyes out randomly. And I found that after that session, I I was able to cry and access my emotions in a way that I hadn't ever been able to previously. Um, And that really helped me then continuously um, music for me was what helped me survive as a kid. So I' would listen to a song and it would bring back an old memory, and I would just feel tears. And then I would think about how sad how sad I was for for that little girl who experienced that thing, and I allowing myself to go there um, whenever it felt like it was coming up, seemingly out of nowhere, um which I had never let myself do before. But that was so healing for me. Wow. I that that
0: story was incredible I it's like triggering something in me too because I don't have like I said our stories are not exactly similar but I think the themes of them are very similar and um first of all I'm just so sorry that that happened because I'm thinking about it like your dad married that woman when you were three you said right so this was like another mom to you and like and you are especially with what you just disclosed about your own biological mother that was struggling with her mental health. And so you had that going on over there too. Um, But then, Oh my God, it's your birthday. And to call, I mean, not that like you can help that. I mean, obviously she's going to leave when she's going to leave. And I'm sure they weren't like, I'm going to do this on Dana's birthday. Or maybe they did. I don't know. But the point is like the fact that there you are again on a day when you're just like hanging out with a friend, coming from the airport, listen to your music and then you get this life-changing call mm-hmm. and this is where I think because I struggle with this sometimes even with my son I want him to see me go through emotions because in in the opposite way of you with your your dad my parents kind of um I think hid a lot of their emotions and then all of a sudden it would like unleash at a certain time you know But it wasn't like this constant bombardment, but I knew that like I needed to keep in my place to keep all the chips where they were. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't enough, everyone just kind of had to stay in their lane because it was like everyone was keeping it together behind the scenes. But I knew that that wasn't, I'm very empathetic. I, I could always just feel the emotions. But my point is like, you're rushing home to support someone that they should either have the skills to do themselves as an adult not be depending on their their 17-year-old daughter and like therapy or something else like that is not your job and it's your birthday and now you're sitting there being this pillar of strength for someone when all you want to do is be seen mm-hmm. and i'm saying that like i mean i guess i'm assuming your feelings but like for me i'm i'm kind of speaking like as my own self like i remember just being so excited to spend a day with my parents after my brother died or something and it'd be going great. And then all of a sudden it would be like the end of the day and like I'm supporting a parent through their big emotions around the grief that they're carrying and rightfully so. But I'm thinking I didn't want this to be like that today. I just wanted to be a 17 year old kid because I was 17 also at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the rest of my high school experience was you know, filtered through that lens. And so it just is like, it's hard because like, you know, you can't, you can't fault your dad for having big emotions about his wife leaving. And I can't fault my parents for having big emotions around the death of a child, which is something I could never possibly imagine. But what you can expect responsibility for is not putting it on somebody who is a child themselves and who also is going through a loss. You just lost a a stepmom. I just lost a brother. Like, And it's hard because then there's that enmeshment where you feel like it is your responsibility and you do want to be there for them because you love them and love to you looks like putting your own feelings aside and supporting your parent. And that is just like, I just have goosebumps right now. I've been talking about it. And the idea that that therapy style, because I love my therapist. I talk about therapy all the time, but I love that because there is some part of me That I I tell my husband, I feel like an android. Like I'll be like, that's sad, but I don't cry. Or that makes me really happy, but I could be like totally straight faced or that's funny, but I'm not laughing. And that idea of just having to like experience and cry things out with like reckless abandon is like, would be so amazing. And I'm with you, like maybe one session, if it just gets you over that hump, because what it does is it unlocks that feeling mechanism that I think you and I have or had numbed so much, and that's for good and bad things.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how you survive.
0: Like, yeah, totally. really good it.
1: It's just you know, everyone's safer. It's easier to just not feel it and just keep going and do the things. And um, I don't know. I I I genuinely used to believe that there was no point in being sad about anything because that's what I was told repeatedly. I, like, there's no point in being sad. Think about what's good. Just go, keep moving. Um, So even now, I still have a hard time. Like my brain automatically always just goes to the good parts. And I have to actively acknowledge this part is sad. And it's okay that I might feel sad or I am disappointed. So like, and I've had to actively work through that. Even with just acknowledging, like for anyone who has been a nummer, your whole life, there is a process you have to go through to kind of transform that, which includes intentionally paying attention to your own body. Right. And, and even, even being able to feel, I feel frustrated right now. I feel angry right now. Like that, just that simple little being able to tell what you feel is extremely difficult for people like you and me. Um, but oh, once you're able I to feel like, like, oh, yeah. And there's a part of
0: you that feels like, um, I don't know about you, but I feel like less of a human or something. Like, I feel like an alien because I'm like, why is that hard for me? Why are feelings hard? Isn't feeling just human, yeah. you know? So there's like that that shame and judgment that I naturally fall into. And I have to go like, no, this is something I'm working on. My therapist always says, Amy, you think your feelings. You don't feel <laughs> you <laughs> say uh-huh. all the time and I'm like oh my god because it's funny because I have this connection where the second I have a feeling mm-hmm. my brain literally without a conscious thought clicks into but I can understand where that comes from or oh I understand why or oh well that makes sense because instead of just sitting in it like she always says, like sit in the shit Like sit in the gray, like just let yourself. And I think with having those children, like we were just talking about with my son and your daughter, that he brings up all the feelings in a day. I mean, literally every single one. And I think then I go into my nervous system, you know, flight response Mm -hmm. or, you know, my, um, my freeze where I'm just like, okay, if I just stand here and scroll in the kitchen where no one can see me on social media, like, I'll just like be fine. Like, cause it's like, I feel overwhelmed constantly cause it's like I struggle with feeling emotions and he's making me confront that every minute of every day. And here I am just sitting in, in overwhelm and in, you know, in my fight or flight or freeze response, like all day, every day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. How, how can I, fun. how can I do this work? And, for anyone who is in the process of doing work i think we we hope and pray that it that it it, it doesn't take very long but the truth is it takes a, a long time and i don't know i don't know if it, it's it's not ever over right and so i think if we are doing this healing work and we just expect all these things from ourselves like we see these you know these reels and posts on on Instagram and TikTok about the ideal way to be with our kids and respond to our kids and to say the right things but if you have a history like you and me do doing that in practice can feel impossible and just making tiny little steps in the right direction is worth celebrating all the time and i think a big part of
0: that like I know this is your platform too is the conscious parenting is the thing about when your kid is triggering something in you having that quick little pause which is it's like a muscle like the more you use it the better it gets and I promise you that because I mean I'm living it Mm -hmm. and I feel like that pause of going like whose is this am I mad really because you know, my son is doing X, Y, or Z, or am I feeling a certain way in me that is my responsibility? Or is that triggering something in me that is my responsibility? Or like you said, with your partner, you know, with a coworker, with a friend, with a family member, like it's so important to stop and just live consciously and realize, you know, everything's going to go on as it's going to go on. Life's going to keep playing out. But like, how much can we, kind of like reflect on in the moment and realize and like kind of put that pause in and just in every moment make a choice to be different this time and it doesn't have to be like all day every day or like I'm going to turn this because that's me I go very black and white I'm like okay now I'm this person ready go and it just doesn't I mean listen like my brother died 20 years ago I'm like I if I could pay someone to make that situation stop popping up in my psyche. I mean, like it just doesn't go away. The stuff that you've been through doesn't go away. It shaped your life. So somehow you have to learn how to like dance with it and work with it. It becomes a part of you and, and it's going to shape you. But if you can like consciously make choices to like heal in the moment, and that's like you said, little tiny shifts, right? I mean, it's, I think we all think it's going to be this like epiphany and like the angels are going to like sing and like the the sky is going to open up. And it's like, no, it's it's just in choosing to take a step back, take like a mommy time out for a minute and take five deep breaths before you go in, head on into a situation with your kid. Or it's in that choosing not to yell, choosing to empathize and understand and get curious and say, hey, what do you need right now versus me coming at you and telling you how it's going to be, you know?
1: Yeah. It's like that responding versus reacting. Yeah. Yes. Right, and a lot. Of, I, I hear from a lot of moms or just parents in general who are like, "Before I can even consciously pause, I've already done the thing I didn't want to do. Like, I don't even know there is no space, and I'm just like, yeah. I hear people because I've been there. Yeah, it's almost like a mini blackout, and I say something, and then I'm like, I heard it that? What? Oh yeah." My- That was terrible. That's going to happen, right? Especially if you have trauma and just like you grew up in chaos and all these other things. There are reasons why that's going to happen. And you can't ever completely 100% eliminate that from happening. But what I always tell parents to do is if that is you, if you are a person who goes from zero to 100 in one second flat and you lose it time and time again, what you have to practice doing is not focusing on, I'm going to, I need to stop losing. I need to stop losing it. It's like, no, your goal is to pay attention to your body enough to see the signals that the losing it is coming. Cause if you can start doing that, then you can get ahead of your body losing complete control and dysregulation and not react that way so frequently. So That's a
0: huge tip. I was actually, it's funny. I was actually going to ask you that kind of in closing, like what's Mm -hmm. the best piece of advice. But I think that that is such a great piece of advice. Cause you're right before it actually comes out of your body. It's in there already. And I, and I'm just thinking back. And I'm sure if anyone's thinking back right now to like a situation that really triggers you with your kid. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can already kind of see, I mean, for me, like bedtime's huge, but like at that point, you have a whole day's worth of crap on your shoulders. You know what I mean? Like you can already kind of see like the writings on the wall, you know, when, when that's, what's going to spill out of that cup, like, cause that's what's inside of you. So it just shows you like, yeah, doing that checking in and that like inner work before, you know, or, and and you know, and if all else fails, I always tell myself, you can always go back to it later and repair. You can always say to your kid, I yelled at you earlier and you know what? I was really frustrated and I do not want to talk to you like that. And I'm really sorry. Can we, can we work through this? You know, let's, let's come up with a better way. And I think if nothing else, that's teaching your child that like mommy's human. Mm -hmm. Everyone has big feelings, just like when they have big feelings and, you know, they quote disrespect us, right. With their big feelings. I know eye roll, major eye rolls on both sides of the screen here. and it's like everyone's doing the best that they can and the same way that your kid might haul off and throw a toy or haul off and hit you we might haul off and yell at them everyone reaches their limit and I think it's about doing the best you can in that moment noticing it in your body or going back later and just trying to repair and then working on yourself when you can is such a huge Mm -hmm. thing because at the end of the day like it's not about the kid it's not about your partner it's you it's all the stuff you're carrying inside of you and I think it's like they're holding up that big mirror at you like yeah mom you're frustrated look in the mirror why are you frustrated
1: when we when we finally can choose to own that process things will start to change but in but that victim mindset, like even, yes, even if terrible things have happened to you, whether sexual assault or otherwise, Mm -hmm. raise. I'm right there with you. But if you want to heal and let go of the responses that are showing up in your relationship with your child, then you have to be the one to say, this is mine and mine only. I cannot control anybody else. I can only control me and what I do, what I don't do, what I say, what I don't say. And if I don't do the work, then it is on me. It is mine to own. Mm. And that you feel empowered. Once you own it, you're empowered because it is truly in your hands, which is almost like if you've never had power before, it's kind of scary. You're like, I actually do have this level of power when I felt so powerless my whole life. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And once you step into that, you're like, holy crap, I, it's me. It's been me the whole time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like
0: I'm that, I'm that savior that I'm waiting for rescue from. It's me. I could just rescue myself. And I say just, it's not just, like you said, it's very tricky, but it's also as simple as that too, though. You know, once you're ready to, to go, which I think is, is amazing. Um, one last thing that I have to ask you, and then I swear we'll wrap up because I can just (laughs) talk to you forever. Clearly. Um, if someone's listening right now, I know for me, I have a four-year-old, you have younger children too. And we're kind of like, you know, we're in the formative years, but there's like, you maybe haven't rocked the boat too much yet. And you're like, cool, I'm going to do this now. My kid's only one, whatever. What about someone listening that's got like an eight year old or something that they're like, oh my God, I've done this quote wrong for eight years. Now what do I do? How do I start that change? Do you have any advice for that person that feels like they want to make a change, but they feel stuck in their parenting and they are almost like perpetuating that cycle they don't want to do anymore?
1: Yeah. First of all, I will say, Hugs because you're going to have some grief around the things that you've done and you may feel just really bad. And I don't think that that's, that's not wrong to do. What, what you've got to, I think the biggest first step to cultivating that shift honestly is developing self-compassion mm. for who you are, who you've been, mm. why you showed up the way you showed up. And even just acknowledging, why do I want to make these shifts? What is it? that I want to see done differently. Because if, if your why for doing something isn't big enough, you won't stick with it. Um, and if you don't truly identify, why am I doing this? And when I do this, what are what are the actual changes I want to see in me, the relationship I have with my kids, so on and so forth. When you can visualize, like when I make these changes, this is what I, what I hope to see. You get, you're like, oh my gosh. If like, depending on how the relationship is with you and your kids. If you, if you're like, I want to get to a point where my son is yelling at me and I'm able to stay calm and empathize with him instead of yelling back at him, you make small goals and then make small shifts. Now, everybody experiences different things and wants to make different shifts and everything like that. So I would first say is just that, that self-observation a kind, non-judgmental observer of yourself, of your life, of your reactions, of your children. Observe first to see, because if you don't know where you're starting from, it will be harder to get to where you wanna be. So you have to take that first step of just observing. What does my daily interactions look like? What feelings come up for me? What situations with my children or with my spouse are the most difficult for me? And once you can observe and and. I, see patterns, then you can start to reflect on, hmm, interesting. I wonder why that happened. And then you can dig a little deeper to ask yourself those hard questions. Why might that be coming up for me in that situation? And this, more, this is a long, this is a year's process, right? So if you're there, if you're just starting it, you've got to give yourself time and space and small steps, like like literally five minutes a day you have five minutes of quiet time at the end of a day after your kids are, are have gone to bed just to sit and reflect or journal or whatever those small things will lead to huge changes down the line
0: I love that that's such a digestible piece of advice too it's not a huge it'll give you a huge transformation but Gives you the, you know, those little tiny steps that really will make a huge difference. I just love that. Thank you so much, Dana. What is the um, the best way someone can find you? So I know you have your Instagram platform, um, which is the period conscious period healing period mama. Uh, I know, no, listen, I get it. I, I've added dots into mine too. It's like, everything's taken these days. Um, so I know people can go right now and find you on there and follow you, which I highly recommend. But what other things are available to, to everybody?
1: So I have, uh, my, my website is just danacharfalia.com. Um, that lists out some services. And then if you go to the link in my bio on my Instagram, I have a free 30-minute healing while parenting audio that just gives a really, you know, in-depth baseline of like, what does it mean to heal while parent and some, some strategies you can start implementing, implementing right away. Um, and then I've got some other podcasts you can listen to and you can email me Dana Tarfalia at gmail.com, but that's it.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you, appreciate you taking are. this time. I know that this is going to be amazing for everybody listening and yeah, awesome. thank you. New best friend. <laughs> Welcome back everybody. I hope you really enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed that conversation and being able to share that with you. And I'm just really hoping that you found some little quote you can latch onto and something you can carry forward with you on your own personal healing journey. Um I know for myself it just there were so many facets that got triggered, you know, things that I was thinking about, be it your own upbringing or um, intergenerational trauma, thinking about your parents and, you know, what they've been through and friendships and parenting and just so many little things. So I'm hoping that everyone listening was able to find something to carry forward from this episode and yeah i think you can see now why i said dana was just so incredibly inspiring so if you haven't followed her already on instagram i highly recommend that you pop over there and do that her account again is at the.conscious.healing.mama and she has a website too with some resources on there so just definitely give it follow and check her out more. And I know that you won't be disappointed. There's always great content coming from her. That being said, if you would like to reach out to me to share your personal story, I would love to hear it. I would love to hear about the ways you can relate to what we shared in this episode, about your own healing journey, about your own upbringing, things like that. And hopefully we can share with the whole community and everyone can hear your story and the work that you're doing and grow from it so if you would like to do that please 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 reach out on instagram at grow.up.ig or of course you can shoot me an email at thegrowuppod at gmail.com the last thing is that i have a super small but very significant favor to ask of you all If you are a longtime listener of the show and you love this podcast, if you're somebody, even if you're brand new, who just really enjoys it, I would be so grateful if you could review or leave, you know, a rating on the show that's so helpful for visibility and for getting our word out there. Also, if you're a follower on Instagram and you love the content over there and you just believe in the message of grow up, I would really appreciate you sharing the account and the podcast with friends, anyone that you know needs to hear these messages, whether it's a parenting friend, or just a friend that you have that you get in those deep conversations with that you always are trying to do better than the person you were the day before. Those are our people. So definitely share, spread the word. And just those little tiny Things actually make a really big difference for a platform like mine. So I would really appreciate that if you don't mind. I know the world seems super heavy lately. I am in it too. Um, It feels like wave after wave after wave. And I just want to let you know that you showing up here every week or every other week to listen to the podcast. To keep trying to do better and to grow shows that you are the type of person that is committed to this work. So be proud of yourselves and just keep showing up and keep doing the hard work, looking inward and just trying to be better than you were before. And I just believe in you. And while the world feels really challenging lately, I want you to know that I am in your corner. I'm here for you. Please do not hesitate to reach out and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.